Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your baseball is suspended home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, which is part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. My name is Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. I guess I write about the Cubs and like all things baseball adjacent while we wait to find out if baseball is back. Um, but, you know, we're, we're doing what we can. It's like 2020 is a wild ride. Well, to piggyback on that, hi guys, Andy Cruz Vanasek. And yes, I agree. This is some crazy times that we're in and I still enjoy, although I never thought I'd see the day when we were like in day 80 something of no baseball, where Sarah's still writing about um, topics that need to be discussed right now. And you're doing a fabulous job. And I'm telling you, you need to find an agent because- If anybody if anybody's looking for an aspiring young writer who likes sports, pop culture, politics, and a bunch of other mis- miscellaneous things, hit me up, people. Seriously, this, I mean, if you've been keeping up with this, and I will admit, I've had to go back a couple times and read some days, but it's definitely worth it to sit down and read, and, and people are going to want to do this years from now and, and just kind of look over you know, the climate of, of our society right now. And this is going to be a fantastic way to do it, especially from the lens of a baseball fan. Uh, thank you, lady. I really appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I course. just kind of, it was 89 days ago when MLB decided that they were going to suspend things, call things, grind everything to a halt because of the coronavirus. It was right after the NBA and NHL, NASCAR, the Boston Marathon, a bunch of organizations that don't agree on anything all decided to do the same thing. And it just felt like I needed to write about it. And I wasn't sure what it was going to look like, but I was sure that there would be stories along the way. So this is my attempt to add to the conversation. I appreciate you. Well, let's take a walk down this path for a second. What in the heck would we be reading right now if we weren't reading that? (laughs) I mean, seriously, you know, I mean, yes, there's a lot of things going on right now um, that we did not foresee coming, especially in the midst of a quarantine. Um, But I mean, seriously, what would we be reading about right now? Still people talking about, obviously, the, 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 hopefully the, the soon end to the journey of baseball starting. But other than that, I mean, this has been such a a well done series that I'm, like I said, I'm very, very excited for you. Hopefully that somebody will pick this up and run with it because it's definitely something that people want to sit down and read someday. Well, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And let's just jump right into it. Because I was talking to a friend last week, the week before, I don't know, time is like, not a real thing anymore. All the days just run together. And they were explain, you know, wondering if what we're seeing in terms of the political energy, the protest movement that has come about in the aftermath of George Floyd's death at the hands of police officers, reminded people of 1968 and the protests that erupted um, after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And and my response to them was, what if 1968 happened in a pandemic right at the start of the Second Great Depression, which is sort of what the world we're living in right now is, (laughs) which is just mind-blowing to me that all of those historic events could collide at the same time. And so I just want to, you know, ground ourselves for one second in the fact that we are living in truly historic times. Stuff is happening right now, both in baseball and in the world around us that is unprecedented. And so I would acknowledge that. And I want to just start by saying, Andy, how are you doing? How is your family doing? How are you holding up? Well, and, and 
I think we kind of talked about this pre-show. We were going to acknowledge the fact that we did start this episode last night and <laughs> we did <laughs> we yes. had technical difficulties at essentially the same exact time, which is crazy and, and doesn't happen. And so we have to start this episode over. So I'm going to tell my story again, because I think this is worth noting that I am so desperate and not, not speaking about the, obviously what's going on in society, but more speaking to baseball, I'll get to the other stuff in a second, but I am so desperate for sports that I turned on spike ball on TV and um, it is an amazing game. I'll keep it short this time. I think I gave way too much, (laughs) too much of an explanation last night when we tried this the first time, but spike ball is a very cool sport. I highly recommend um, looking it up and maybe not wasting minutes. Not, I don't want to say wasting, but using minutes of your life to watch it on ESPN, but just looking at the concept of the game, because it is actually very cool, but this is what, my consuming sports life has come to is that I was watching spike ball on ESPN last weekend. Cause I was desperate for sports that and cornhole. I was watching also, I was reminded <laughs> last night I was watching cornhole. We actually call it bags because here in this house, I don't really like the term cornhole. Um, <laughs> I, we won't, we won't touch that, but yes. Yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at with missing sports as far as, um, the other things that are very, very important, um, you know, I took my daughters to their first and second peaceful protest this past weekend, which was, awesome. yeah, quite a, quite a journey and quite an experience um, and something I'm very proud of. We actually have two more planned this weekend. Um, it, it's, it, it's not where I ever imagined I would be with my children in 2020. Let's just put it that way. Um, and I was kind of speaking on this and I think you can relate and it's such a hard um, path to navigate because I've always identified as a person of color. So, and I know what I look like. I obviously don't to, to anybody that would like to judge a book by their cover. I don't look like a person of color, but I've always, you know, identified that way. So this is such a hard path to navigate down because obviously I was raised in a very diverse family. So I know, and I've seen, and so to be able from to teach this to my children and have them walk for this cause and have them understand and have them really get a grasp on what is happening in our society, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, you know, it's really, really important to me for them to know that, you know, we're a different family, like I said, because because I was raised very diverse and I try to keep my children's minds open to that. So, um, but sometimes I, I am guilty of, of not being completely open to things. And I will say, and I've read many St. Louisans that were born and raised here in St. Louis. This is a very different city. It's actually a lot more segregated than any other place I've ever visited or lived. And people will say, and will tell you that. I mean, people that, people that have lived here their whole lives will tell you that. Um, it's just, it's very hard raising children here and especially raising children with open minds. And so where I live in the community I live in is very, very white. I will say that. So it's been hard, but it, there's a lot of promising signs and I hope that a lot of people can agree with me that they're seeing the same things in their communities because right now it is so important that we do what we need to do to keep things moving in the right direction. Yeah. So a couple of things you said there, I want to, I want to emphasize one thing um, that you said, because I think we identify 
fairly similarly here. I mean, Andy and I are both Latina. We both have uh, last names, or in her case, maiden last name. In my case, my last name, because I am not married, uh, <laughs> that indicate that we are Latina. It's, it's not like a secret or anything. I, I have tended to find throughout my life that it was one of those things, if you knew, you knew, like other Latino people could tell that I was Latina and white people would kind of look at me sometimes and be like, what are you? <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's great. Thank you. Um, but my, my dad and, and Andy's uh, dad didn't really have that luxury. I mean, they're very obviously Latino men. You can, you can see it. And so I, I grew up watching, um, well, just different experiences that I, than I would have seen if my dad looked different or if my dad um, looked less brown. Um, and I've had to, you know, there were certain stores in my hometown where we didn't go because my dad had been treated poorly at those stores in the past. Um, I've dealt with some of the, you know, hearing some of his experiences with police officers pulling him over just because he was driving a car that they didn't think that he should be able to drive, other things like that. Um, but I also recognize fully that I personally have had a different experience than he has had. And I live somewhere in between here. And I, I don't always get this right either. It's all uncomfortable and it's hard for us to talk about. But I did feel like in the last week, the last two weeks in particular, it was important to join the people who were marching and protesting and to be heard. And, and it was kind of crazy how that came about in my instance, because I've been very diligent. Like if you've been reading the diary of a life without baseball, you know that I'm like super into like stay six feet away from me and wear a mask and be careful and don't get COVID and all this other type of stuff. And so if you had asked me um, at the start of this whole pandemic thing, Hey, how are you going to like, like what's the first group activity you're going to do outside of quarantine life? I, it would not have been marched with, you know, a few thousand people down Clark Street. Um, but that's what it was. Like I went to Wrigley Field, uh, last, I guess it was last week. Um, and they, a protest was starting at Wrigley Field. I wanted some of the pictures. And when I got there, I, I, I had to like catch my breath in my throat because the marquee said end racism. And it just didn't, it wasn't cycling with anything. Like it was just, that was the statement. There were no ads, nothing else. And if you live in the neighborhood, you know anything about the Chicago Cubs, um, that marquee is basically an advertising board. It advertises Wendella, it advertises Ramchata, it advertises Nuveen, like all the people <laughs> who sponsor various things that the Chicago Cubs do. The one time that I've seen it not cycle like that before was in the immediate days after the Cubs won the World Series, where it said World Series champions and that's it. The other time it doesn't cycle is if there's a game, it will just say, you know, Cubs versus Reds at 120 or whatever. It was stunning in a good way to see them put up that message and just stick with it and to stick with it for days. Um, the only time that they changed it in the few days that I was by there last week anyway, uh, was on the day that George Floyd's memorial service was held in Minneapolis. And the, and on that day, the marquee just said in remembrance of George Floyd. And so one of the things we're going to talk about here is how different teams have dealt with the historic moment we find ourselves in. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, most of them have not been very good. I, I will also say the Cubs response, in my opinion, has not been perfect. In fact, Andy and I are both signatories 
on an open letter to the Chicago Cubs that is up on the Bleed Cubby Blue website right now. You can go read that. I would encourage you to, where we're asking for some more specifics in terms of what the team plans on doing. But I do want to give them credit for their use of the marquee. That is a historic platform that they have, and they used it well, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely, um, you know, and I don't, I don't, I didn't know all those details until you said that. That's pretty amazing. And I, I think I would be taken aback by that too, because that is, you're definitely used to seeing um, a certain thing and to just have it sit there and be so, you know, like, that's it. This is, this is the, you know, this is the tweet. This is the message and racism. Like, that's it. You know, that, that's very powerful. And, and for them to put something up like that, it's definitely a great start, but there, there needs to be more, there needs to be more. And um, I, I, I just, I just want to be at Wrigley. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, to, even to see that with my own eyes, that would be very, very cool. I just, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm just thinking about how it would feel to see it with my own eyes. And that makes me want to be there. I may just road trip up there. <laughs> well, we miss you. And I, I would love to see you more than anything in the world. I mean, it has been incredible to see. Um, let's Let's jump into this and let's start with the Cubs statement. So before we get into the individual statements, I want to give a shout out to um, Bill Bear of NBC Sports and Hardball Talk started a rubric to like evaluate each of these statements and how teams did. And I thought it was really helpful because it offered like eight different things that your statement should say if it's an adequate statement, right? It was very much like a teacher tool of like, yes, no, did you say these things? And it will not shock anybody that the Cubs scored like a two out of eight <laughs> on their statement. And look, like I'm not, look, I, I, these statements are hard. They're not easy to craft. A lot of the front offices and comms departments that were writing these statements are overwhelmingly um, white men who probably struggled with some of the words that they had to say. And even if the comms department has diversity in it, which I know some teams do, I know, I know that the Cubs comms department has some diversity in it. Um, they have to get those statements approved by ownership, right? So they have to go through a crew of people who may not be as receptive to some of those messages. But at the same time, like the stuff that Bear was asking teams to consider, I really just thought was, I don't know, for the most part, pretty basic in terms of offering a good statement and a good apology. I mean, we had a... Um, we had kind of a field day with the Astros over the offseason and their inability to apologize <laughs> to save their lives and their inability to come up with an empathetic statement. And so I thought it was telling that most of MLB had a hard time with this particular rubric. So Bear, Bear said the eight things that each statement should have were that it mentions George Floyd by name, that it acknowledges racism and oppression, that it condemns police violence, that it expresses solidarity with the oppressed, that it uses the actual term Black Lives Matter that it avoids respectability politics, that it avoids vague, vague language, and that it describes meaningful action. And the, the Cubs statement did not do a vast majority of those things. It acknowledged racism and oppression. Um, it expressed solidarity with the oppressed, but it really didn't hit any of the other benchmarks there. And frankly, a bunch of other teams didn't either. The Cardinal statement didn't do that. The national statement was one of the worst things I've ever seen. They managed to make it about winning the World Series in 2019 somehow. And I, I really just, I like the Nationals. That statement was terrible. Uh, the Yankees didn't put up a statement until like two days ago, which I don't even know what they were thinking. And 
it's just been, and MLB was late with their statement too. MLB statement came out days after everybody else. So I just um I want to talk about why MLB has such a problem with crafting statements for an incident like this. And Andy, I would love to hear your thoughts here because I know you were following this as closely as I was. I mean, I I understand that this is something that everyone wants to get right. Everyone wants to, you don't want to do any further damage with words. You know, I mean, there's been so many words, so many things that people say that isn't meant the way that it it is received. And it's just, it's something you just, you want to feel like you did good with what you're saying. I get it. I totally get it. And I've read so many places and I'm sure you have on social media over the past two weeks where people are afraid to say anything because they don't want to get it wrong. They don't want to say things that are going to be offensive. They don't want to say things that are going to be taken the wrong way. And then there are those that say way too much and, you know, just barrel over the line and say all kinds of nonsense that, you know, they may have a very good point and they may have a good thought and a good heart behind it, but it just comes across doing more damage than they probably intended. So I understand handling this with white gloves, but there has to be, you have to have some more substance behind it. There has to be some more meat to it, if you will. I just, it was just, if you were trying to get across that you're taking a stand against something, you really need to be specific about what you're addressing and, you know, use names. step outside your box a little bit. You know, my, my thought and my fear is that maybe the original person who wrote this did all those things and wanted to include all those things. And I'm speaking in part of the Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the original writer included all those things. And once it got up the ladder, you know, the red pen ran out of ink, if you know what I mean. And those things got, taken out and didn't want to be messed with. They didn't want that, you know, being released the way that it was originally written. You, you, you can only assume so much, you know, uh, you would hope that somewhere along the line in that process that someone said, you know what, we have to, there has to be more to this. Like we have to say a little bit more. The, the statements I've read are just so generic and it's like, you almost wonder what is the point you know, I mean, you said a lot of nothing is basically what happened. Um, and it, it's it's disappointing, you know, because there are so many people now. Um, and I'm speaking personally. I have friends that are speaking out that I never thought would say anything. There's businesses speaking out. There's people, you know, dropping sponsorships because certain people said or did things. It's just, there's just so many people now taking a stand that why not just go ahead and go for it? I mean, you're in a place right now where there was so blatant um, of disregard for human life and people, everybody saw that. There's no reason to shy away from stating, having a stance against that, having a stance against what led up to that in this society. And it's just, it's really disappointing, you know, because you want them to do better. You want 
the teams that you love, the sport that you love, you want them to do better. You want to feel good about loving them. And right now they're making it just so God awful hard. I agree with that. And I don't have a ton to add there, but I will say that the one thing that I am, that was, I was probably most heartened by that the Cubs did last week. Um, and they didn't do this to a bunch of fanfare. Like this wasn't, they didn't have a ton of press release or cameras on this or anything like that. I happened to find out about it because I live in the neighborhood. And so when you live in Wrigleyville, you can sign up for Cubs community notices and they'll just tell you when things are going on. Like if they're going to plow a certain road or if they're going to do trash pickup on a certain area, or if they're going to give early bird tickets to people who live in the neighborhood to an event at Gallagher way, assuming Gallagher way ever reopens. Um, and so I just got an email notification from the Cubs saying, Hey, we're doing a good food and supply drive for the South and West side of Chicago in partnership with Chicago cares. If you live in the neighborhood, drop off some non-perishables. Here are some items that we need. And I thought that was awesome. I thought that hit the exact right spot. And I, I would like to see more of that. You know, like I, Theo Epstein did this interview with ESPN yesterday where he was very forthcoming about there not being enough diversity in the front offices that he's run and that he is going to be more deliberate about trying to hire a more diverse staff so that he's hearing more voices. And I, I appreciate that. Like, I think that is the mark of a good leader to say, we didn't do this well, we're going to try to do it better. But I also don't want them to just get away with saying we're going to try to do better. Like, I think it's really important that you let people know the specific actions you are going to take and how they do good. So I would just, this letter isn't intended to like put anybody on blast. It's not intended to be, I'm so sick of everything being called, we, we shouldn't talk about that. It's political, stick to sports, yada, yada. I'm so sick of that. It is impossible to stick to sports at this moment in time, in my opinion. Um, but it is, I'm glad they're taking these steps in the right directions. And I think fans deserve to know what the outcomes of those steps are. I think fans deserve to know the specifics. I think fans deserve to know their commitments in the next year, in the next two years, in the next five years. I mean, Andy, I know you read through this. We were talking about it before, but if Doug Glanville and Ken Rosenthal sat down with a bunch of former players, uh, former black players from MLB, to talk about their experiences on their teams and what racism looks like in baseball. And it is notable that it was former players because one of the things that they reference in the preface of the article is that no current player would have that candid of a conversation with them about this issue because it makes their clubhouse life too hard. And I just want people to think about what that means for the 7.7% of African-American players who play our favorite game. I mean, that is, that is, jaw dropping if if you think about that and it's also breaks my heart but at the same time makes my blood boil that that is the reason that in 2020 black players on teams that we love cannot speak up about this issue something that they deal with on a daily basis because you know bottom line is when they go home and take off their uniform they're still black they still have to deal with this in other areas of their life it's not just baseball but the fact that they can't speak about it candidly because it would make their clubhouse life too hard too difficult it, it that is just it's disgusting I mean people just don't think about it because they don't have to and it's time that we start thinking about it 100 percent um so we're looking forward to hearing more about what the Cubs do. We're looking forward to hearing more about what MLB is going to do. We're also looking forward to hearing if there will be an MLB season in 2020. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. 
for some sponsors. But on the flip side, we will be talking about all things MLB owners and players negotiations, what you need to know about the offers that have been put forth so far, and whether or not there will actually be baseball to watch in 2020 or whether the diary of a life without baseball will just keep going on forever. But first, a quick break. All right, we're back. So I want to start this off by saying that from my perspective, the way this negotiation, and I'm doing air quotes right now, which is a terrible thing to do on a podcast because y'all can't see it. But (laughs) this negotiation has been totally ridiculous and out of control. Because as far as I can tell in March, when the season was suspended, the players and the owners came together and they agreed that the season would be shortened the players would get their prorated full salaries and that would be it. And then everything hit pause for a while, at which point it became clear that quite a few cities, if not all cities, <laughs> were going to ask the MLB not have fans in the stands. And so the owners realizing they were about to take a huge hit on gate revenues and concession sales and those types of things went back to the players and said, actually, That time we told you we would pay you prorated salaries, we didn't really mean that we would like to pay you less. Now, we have talked on this show before about some of the offers that MLB has put forward. But just to clear things up here, there have been three offers so far. One of them was for a salary structure that would basically like take a ton of money from the players that make a ton of money. So the Hugh Darvishes, the Mike Trouts, the John Lesters of the world would make like pennies on the dollar. They would make like 20 to 25% of what they had anticipated. Uh, Whereas a Nico Horner, who's making the league minimum in their first season, would make closer to their full prorated salary. This is like a move designed to divide the players union. So they'll fight against each other because the younger players will want to play and the older players will be like, hey, where are my millions of dollars? It's literally designed to make players look bad. Uh, The player said no to that. Oh, I'm sorry. I also forgot the offer of a functional salary cap where the owner said, we'll take 50% of whatever revenues we get from the year and we'll divide your salaries among it. Players said no to that because the salary cap has been anathema in player negotiations through the entirety of MLB and player negotiations. And then they repackaged that same deal. Like both of these things would have the owner spending the same amount of money, you people. Like this is the part you have to realize. They repackaged it to a, what if we had 50 games and we pay you the pay you the full prorated salaries, which is basically the same amount of money they would have spent on salaries with the weird division split at the top and the bottom. And then this week they came back with, all right, all right, we'll do 72 games at 75% of your salaries, which is, spoiler alert, the same amount of money <laughs> they were going to pay for 50 games at full prorated salaries, just divvied up differently with the math so that people will think MLB is negotiating in good faith when they're not. And I am exasperated at the way the owners are handling this. Like if I was part of the players negotiation team, I would, none of the, all of these would be non-starters to me. There's no way you would get me to agree to take the same offer you just get gave me with slightly different terms. But that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> Andy, what do you see here? So I'm like picturing this going like, okay, this is how I look at it. This would be if two weeks ago I told my kids, you know, say they they did something wrong. Okay, girls, you're grounded for a month or you don't get to go in the pool for a month. 
Okay, so no, they, they say, no, I don't want to do that. Let's think of something else. Okay, so how about this then? You don't get to go in the pool for 30 days or you're grounded for 30 days. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I feel like this negotiation is going. Like, literally, they're just like saying the same thing, but in a different, adding a different number in there. You know, it just, it's so weird to me. I just don't understand how this makes sense to, to bring baseball back. Like, if that's the direction it you're trying not- to go. I mean, it, yeah, if this is the direction you're trying to go, like, can we at least act like we like the sport that we work in? Like, at <laughs> some point in time, can we at least act like we enjoy our job? And like, this is the ultimate goal is to put a product on the field for our consumers. Like, can we act like that for a second? Because right now it just feels like everything is being done basically preemptively to prepare for all of the the, the contract negotiations that are or the um, bargaining agreement that is going to go on for 2021. And it, it's, it's ridiculous to me because what happens when there's no season? I mean, you know, when you guys look back and think, oh, well, you know, maybe we should have done this differently or we should have done this differently. Well, then it's too late because now we're already what? I mean, we're getting close to the middle of June and the last time I looked, if they're even playing 75 games, they're already at the end of September, which would have been a regular season anyways. But I mean, I, the whole point of baseball in the summertime is to be able to get as many games as you can in. And right now, every day that we're losing is another day of baseball that we're losing, you know? So it, it just, it's so, so disheartening for me because it's like, really, somebody please on the ownership side, whoever is working this out, please just act like you enjoy baseball. Act like at some point in your life, this is why you got in this profession. Like the money, yes, I get it. I It's a business. I'm so tired of hearing that. Like I, I get it. I get it. But I, I just, I'm envisioning like Rick, the Ricketts family sitting on top of like a, a cartoon mound of money and like they're just like no you can't have it I don't want baseball I hate baseball like that's just what I feel like right now I know I'm being a big spoiled bride about it but it, it seriously I mean I just feel like there's more that they could put on the table to make this move faster well two things here uh, and I, I think both of these things are really important so the first thing is that I think MLB owners are really showing their primary motivation here they they don't care if there is a product on the field, they are solely doing this. So to put themselves in a better negotiating position for 2021, the players have offered to play baseball and to play more of it without hazard pay or anything else you would expect people uh, in the prime of their lives would demand to work during the middle of the pandemic. So it is very clear to me that one side wants there to be a baseball season and one side only once there to be a baseball season, if they're 100% sure they won't lose any money based on unrealistic expectations of what they've been doing the last few years. They were looking to profit share revenues when they were making record profits the last five years. There was none of this discussion of like, we're going to take our record profits and make sure that the players get at least half of it. Newsflash, they don't. The players get somewhere around 40% of the revenues that MLB gets in a record year. So if they're not going to profit share in record years, I don't know why the players have to take the majority of the hit in a down year. It seems like if you have billions of dollars, you are more insulated to take that hit than the players who are some of them millionaires, but the vast majority of them just making really nice salaries for being super talented, right? 
The second thing that I'll say here is I think the owners are making a calculated gamble based on something that has historically been true that I think it is fundamentally up to the fans to change. So it is historically true that fans have generally sided with ownership in these negotiations because they tend to look at baseball players as like, you get paid millions of dollars to just play a game, just shut up and play. I want to watch my game. Right. And they don't take into consideration the fact that players are talented labor sharing their product, just like other workers. Like if you go out and you have to go out and do your job for a living in order to get paid for it, you're a worker. If you're a person who can take like your millions of dollars and just let your millions of dollars in investments make you money, you're not necessarily in that same group of like, I need to work for my money, (laughs) right? Uh, And owners have long let that wedge between fans and players exist because it benefits them when they come to contract time, be like, oh, well, we can't give you this huge, huge, huge contract because that would be just way too much. We're going to give you this smaller one instead. And particularly on the eve of a collective bargaining agreement, they want the players to look as bad as possible. So they keep sending out these different trial balloons that are not actually new offers and are hoping that fans just get frustrated with the player saying, we're still going to reject the offer that we said was bad two weeks ago. Well, it's kind of funny while you were talking, I was just thinking about this because like it's, I've seen a few people and I know, um, I'm sure you have too on, on Twitter, defend the owners. And I don't understand that line of thinking at all, especially if you're a baseball fan, like I'm going to start keeping receipts on these people because they are some tooth and nail defenders of owners on Twitter. And it's, it's really surprising to me. I'm going to keep receipts. And these people, when this season does start, if it, if it starts, these people better have on jerseys that say Ricketts, that say whatever the, their team's owners are, they better have jerseys that say that. Because we are not sitting in the stands watching the owners do anything but ruin the game we love right now. That's all we're watching. We don't cheer for them on the field. Who are they? They are businessmen. That's what they are. We, the product we love, the game we love is baseball. Those players on the field who we need to get back out there. They want to play. They're ready to play. How can you not root for your players? How can you not root for these guys? These are the guys that have been, since they were how old, training for the day when they can go play the game professionally. I mean, they've sacrificed how much to do what they do. You know, I mean, it just, it blows my mind how you can side with these owners. And I guess I, I'm very much generalizing, but again, I'm picturing, you know, a Tom Ricketts on a stack of cartoon money, like, <laughs> you know, who, who decided what 10 years ago that he was going to own a baseball team and, and be, you know, an owner to this business where these guys have been doing this since they were very little and they, their passion is to be on the field, but they also, for the talent and for the, the, the sacrifices they've made to be where they're at, they deserve what they get paid. It's just, it's just that plain and simple. Well, and that, that is the thing. And so I want to talk, you said two things that I really want to talk about, but I'm going to start with where you ended, which is these players signed up for a system where for the first few years of their career, they cannot make the type of money that people associate with these contracts, right? Like Mike Trout was not being paid like Mike Trout for the first two or three years of his career when he was putting up Mickey Mantle MVP numbers. Like Anthony Rizzo is my favorite example of this because Anthony Rizzo 
took a team-friendly deal. He is not making anywhere near the money that he should be making had he instead decided he was going to test free agency and maybe go somewhere other than the Cubs. And so the idea that the Cubs' response to that is to now ask Anthony Rizzo to take like a 79% cut in pay is just gross to me. Like, I don't think that you take somebody who signed on to take less money to help your team win a World Series and say, yeah, we appreciate that so much that the second it gets tough, we want to pass a bunch of our losses on to you. Second thing I want to say here is you are absolutely right. These are business people and you don't need to look much farther than the other decisions they are making about the game to see it. So for example, uh, there's a really great piece from the 1st of June that 538 put out where owners claim they could lose up to $4 billion this season if games are played without fans. Now, I'm going to pause here and say that a lot of this article is speculation because MLB owners have never opened their books and let us transparently see what they make. So this is like Neil Payne doing some back of the envelope math and like some really educated guesses. But that's what all of us are doing when we talk about owner revenues in that sense, because they just don't show us how much of it comes from concessions or how much of it comes from concerts. Um, But the players have a union. So the players get to fight back and they get to negotiate. Players don't just have to march onto the field and play when owners tell them to. That's We we got rid of that a long time ago. Uh, The Forbes numbers that Payne's 538 article are based on estimate that of some of those losses, some of those things are going to expenses like front office salaries, staff payrolls, minor league costs, stadium expenses, the cost of operating the central office, et cetera. All of those things are being cut wholesale anyway, right? Like we all watched in the last couple of weeks as most teams let 30 to 40% of their minor league players just go. They just told them you're not going to play for us anymore. You don't have a shot. It was heartbreaking to watch some of the responses on Twitter from guys who have dedicated their whole lives just to get a shot, find out, nope, your dream is over. Uh, You had the Nationals saying that they were going to cut minor league salaries from $400 a week to $300 a week until the Washington national players were like, well, we'll just make up that money because that's gross. And then the Lerner family was so embarrassed. They're like, well, we guess we can afford to pay that small amount of money out of our $5.3 billion net worth. So I am, it's not like the owners don't have other places where they're trying to make this up off the backs of workers who don't have a union. It's just that the players union is something they, it is a group they have to negotiate with because the players are actually represented. It's one of the things that they fought for. It's one of the things that makes baseball great. When you're looking at some of these other sports and you're like, well, they can just come back. Why is that? It's because they don't have strong enough representation for the player side. So those players are at the mercy of owners and that's not good for the sport. It's better for the sport for the players to be empowered. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, and and I read somebody today that said, and this was a little, um, I, I don't, I was a little uh, taken back by it because uh, the the way he worded it was just so matter of fact. He's like, these players don't care about the, the risk. They don't care about um, the risk involved with playing a hundred and some games in this climate. And I'm like, well, time out. <laughs> because um, I think, I think, I don't think that you can say that for one, that's such a general statement. And, and two, I mean, I think they very much are, are, you know, just in what I've read and and what we've heard, I think they very much are making sure that um, people know that they care. Like you guys are asking us to play for already reduced salaries, a, a reduced schedule and 
we're still doing that under the pretense that we're, you know, there's this pandemic that's happening around us and we're still willing to do all of that. We very much do care, but we also love the game that we play and, you know, we want to want to get back to work. So it just, there's just so many different angles to this. And I mean, really the only angle that I can see and that I feel strongly about is that there needs to be baseball and the owners need to budge because it, it there's just, they have, like you've said, they have way more room to be able to do that than what they're asking of the players. And it, it's just, it's um, all the things that have happened this um, year or season, however you want to look at it, as far as like letting minor leaguers walk. And that was a, an awful day to watch Twitter that day because it was just so depressing. And to do that and, and not really, you know, that was a solution, quote unquote, to one of their problems. You know, it, it's just a little scary to think about what else they can do, you know, um, as far as starting to abolish the game that we love and, and abolish might be a dramatic word, but I mean, think about it. They basically just got rid of minor league baseball. So, you know, it, it, for this season anyways, um, it's just alarming and it's scary and it, it, it boggles my mind that people would not side with the players on something like this. It, it's just, it makes more sense to think about it from their perspective than, than a businessman's perspective. I 100% agree. And I think that's a pretty good place for us to end it today. We will always be unabashedly team players here. So if you are looking for a place that is making sure that the MLBPA has their concerns heard and that wants baseball back, you have come to the right spot. You can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at, at BRYZ underscore blue. You can find both of us at Bleed Cubby Blue and at Cup of Cubby Blue. And we will be back, hopefully talking about baseball's plans to return next week, or maybe talking about a life without baseball. But either way, we'll have all of your Cubs news, updates, and banter. Bye.